Romans chapter 3, verse 27. While you're flipping there, I'll just share something with you that I feel like the Lord has, the Lord gave me a scripture a long time ago, actually, when I first started Bible college. And sometimes you get a scripture, the Lord gives you something, you know, and uh, you don't really get it. <laughs> well, that's what happened. I got a scripture and I didn't get it. It's in Isaiah chapter 45. And it's about King Cyrus. He was the king of the Medes and the Persians, I think. And there's possibly some evidence that he would have actually been the son of Esther and Artaxerxes. They had like weird names, so. <laughs> I feel so bad, man. Their parents, man, what were they thinking names? <laughs> well, anyway, there was a prophecy about King Cyrus before King Cyrus ever was ever around. Uh, Isaiah chapter 45, verse 13. I raised him up in righteousness, and I will direct all his ways. That's it. He shall build my city, and he shall let go my captives, not for price nor reward, says the Lord of hosts. That was a scripture that the Lord had given to me, uh, actually through Miss Carol. Uh, at a prayer meeting, I came back into town for a little bit. At a prayer meeting, Miss Carol gave that scripture to me, and I'll be honest, I had no idea what the heck that meant. <laughs> Israel was in captivity. Yes, sir. Yeah. Because they went their own way. Yeah. Yeah. And God raised up King Cyrus after it was during the appointed time. The time had come to an end. About 70 years. There's some evidence that maybe it was 68 years and God let them go back 68 years instead of 70 because really of the prayers of Daniel and some others. But anyway, the 70 years had come to an end, basically. And it was time. The Lord was going to bring them back. It was already appointed 70 years, and the Lord was going to bring them back. That was always his plan. He even said it in Scripture. Well, Daniel would have found that in, I think, Jeremiah. So he knew, well, wait a minute. Time's up. It's been 70 years. Well, God raised up King Cyrus at the appointed time in order to let them go back to Jerusalem. He let them go back and build and rebuild. That's what he, he let them, the gist of it is, they were in captivity, but he let them go back. God used King Cyrus to allow them to go back. Well, I got that scripture, like I said, didn't even understand what that meant. <laughs> and then piece by piece by piece, the Lord has, I, I feel like the Lord's just added like, hey, this opened up certain things, raised him up in righteousness. And, I'm, and I've watched, I've watched, I'm not King Cyrus, but it was just, the, the scripture was given to me, but I, honestly, I don't think it's just for me. Yeah. I think this has to do with the message of the cross. But raised, it says he raised him up in righteousness. The Lord opened up the message of the cross, which is right. Righteousness is just 
what's right in the eyes of God. So, and I, if you don't mind, I'm just going to use myself as an example, but really I believe that this applies to, I think it applies to, to this church, this body of believers here as well. Otherwise, we'll be done with this. <laughs> um, raise, it raised them up in righteousness, in the right way. Well, the message of the cross came to me and in a sense raised me up in the right in righteousness in the right way and now here I am <laughs> like I said in the service this morning like a turtle on a fence post I have no idea how I ended up where I'm at I really don't like it's like it, it literally to me I'm every day I'm like what in the world it's like God just picked me up from where I was and just Enjoy the ride. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Third one, fence post. Well, now it says I'll direct all his paths. The message of the cross. I, I'm, I'm, I really believe that that's what the Lord was. The message of the cross raised me up in righteousness and directs all my paths. Sarah, can you read it again? I know there's quite a bit there. I raised him up in righteousness, and I will direct all his paths. He shall build my city, and he shall let go my captives. Not for price, nor reward, says the Lord of hosts. He shall build my city. I believe that that has to do with part souls being saved to come into the kingdom, and then also believers maturing who will build my city. He will let my captives go. Notice it says he'll let my captives go. God allowed Israel to go. It, it was, he was in control the whole time. It was him that put Israel in captivity. And the church is in captivity. And he's done it. God has done it himself. He'll let my captives go. He'll let them go back to the promised land. The promised land is what we have in Christ. That's right. And that's been lost to the church. But the message of the cross is, is here. It's, we talked about it last time. It's, we, you're in a church reformation right now. I mean, we, keep, we always look back to Martin Luther and, that, and we're like, man, praise God for that reformation. You're in one. In your lifetime, you're living in a church reformation. That's exciting. If the Lord tarries, however long he tarries, if he tarries, this may be documented in history. And, and you were around when it happened. Imagine for those people that were around there when Martin, when the Reformation came, Martin Luther, justification by faith. I mean, we, we talk about it now. I don't know if the Lord's going to tarry that long for it to even be recorded. The way things are going, he might not. We're pretty close, I think. Yeah. yeah. I feel like everybody, you know, you hear that a lot. <laughs> oh, it's close, but there's no other prophecy to be fulfilled. Yes. And it was going to end. It's going to end, right? Yeah. Uh, Paul. That's what Paul that's preached. Right. The message of the cross is not new. No, it's not. It's old. It's the original. Yeah. <laughs> and that go, that you know that goes right back to what I was saying. The message of the cross 
brings God's people into the promised land. The message, because the promised land is what we have in Christ. That is our promised land. And what happened was we left. We left. We were The church went into captivity. Remember it says, my captives. So God has allowed the church to go into captivity because that's where he's putting them. Because they decided to go their own way. Yeah. And really, we've been in captivity yeah. for a while now. Yeah. And and God said, the appointed time mm-hmm. is up. And now he wants to bring his people out. And it's the message of the cross that will do so. That's why I do so. Do so. That's why it's so important that we preach the message of the cross. Understand it. Teach it. Um, and that we keep it pure. Because... It's God's gospel, not not ours. It's God's gospel, and it is the thing that he is using to bring his people out of captivity. Now, the important thing is that, that we see is that in, in all of that, they were allowed to go back, but not every Israelite wanted to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't want to because they, they stayed in... They stayed because they thought it was, they had, they had businesses, they had, they had things there that they valued more important than the promised land. And the truth is, there are people that are saved. They're saved. They were still Israelites, but they chose to stay. And then there were those that went back. And the message of the cross, there's going to be true born-again believers that love God that are going to choose, in a sense, to stay in captivity because they have things. Whether I don't know what those things, those things could be anything from position, place, money, to whatever. It could be anything. But I don't know about you, I, I want promised land. I want what I have. I want the promised land that's mine in Christ. That's what I want. And God's doing that through the message of the cross. And he's bringing it. It's been brought to this body of believers right here. Guess what that means? That means, A, you heading back to the promised land. And B, bringing others into the promised land. Through the message of the cross. See, it's really not about us. It's the message. It's the message. And that's what I feel. I feel that. That's why I feel like the Lord instructed me to teach the class. I feel like that's why the Lord brought brought me brought me and Sarah here to teach and preach the message of the cross to open it up because He wants to use this body of believers, this church, you as a pastor, to not only lead you back to the promised land because He's He wants that for each one of us. He's more concerned about you as an individual going back to the promised land than just I mean, he's concerned about that. Yeah. And he'll do anything to get your attention, including separate you from everything, so he can get your attention because he cares about each person individually. Mm-hmm. So I believe that that's what's happening. And it's to get you get, it's to get us to the promised land, but also to, to bring others to where that scripture becomes 
true, it holds the truth for this body of believers here. That you say, well, he raised us up in righteousness. I wanted to say that being in church for quite a while, the church has the concept of the cross for salvation. I think the difference today is, so we're set apart for God, sanctified. The, the, the problem that the church, I think, is, has been having for years is how to obtain a holy life. And that is the sanctification process. And that's something that I never understood as a believer. I never really understood sanctification through the message of the cross. And that is the difference for me from then to today. You know, today, it's an act of allowing God to work in my life so that I can live a holy life for Him. Yeah, it's one of the hardest things to say behind the pulpit or to any believer that's been saved for any time, but especially any believer that's been saved longer than you've been born and alive. I mean, but the church doesn't know how to live for God. Well, and you say, well, no, we, we do. If we did, then we wouldn't have a new way to live for God every year. <laughs> I mean, you know, I know that it's, it's not, one of the hardest things that comes with the message of the cross is saying things that you know, like, this is just not going to be fun. <laughs> I w you want people to like you. I mean, this human nature. You want to be like, you don't want somebody to not like you. But at the end of the day, at the end of my life, I stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The truth is, is people will fight you on it. Oh yeah, we'll fight somebody, stand up and just scrap over the, like, well, you just said, I don't know how to live for God. Well, I've been saved for, I mean, you see how, and, it, and it's, that rises up because nobody likes to be told. I mean, that happened to me. <laughs> I've heard story after story with the message of the cross that when you first heard it, it was like, these people tell me I don't know. Well, that's why you see so many, two different, two different people living for God and one say, well, that doesn't apply to my life. And another one says, well, that applies to my life. That's what happens away from the message of the cross because then it's, it's within our own yeah. thinking. It's what we think. It's subjective. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Whereas I find the message of the cross is more pinpoint. It's like, man, it is. You know? So. I've, I've found in my own personal life that with the message of the cross, I, I am uh, vulnerable. Yes. Vulnerable, and it seems like that God bypasses everything and strikes right to the heart. My, I'm talking about me. Strikes right to the heart. And I'm like, well, you know... Yeah, but and God and but I, there's I have no I'm literally like there's no excuse. He bypass the cross bypasses all of that, and it totally confronts. It just puts it right there in front of you that, and you can try you can try to make excuses, you can get upset, you can do all of these things. And that the one thing that I've noticed more with the message of the cross than anything else is uh, flesh. I, my flesh will just rise up and fight. I, I remember the first time I heard Brother Swagger say that murmuring was a sin. And guess what happened? I mean, Bob God, guess what happened? Oh, well, that, no, no, no. I mean, we're human beings. 
We're human beings. I mean, come on, we're gonna, you know, we're weak. We're gonna, what was I doing? Excuse after excuse. I'm making an excuse for my own sin. Instead of like, oh no, it's not sin. Oh no, that, that's that's too strong of a statement. That's I'm talking, I'm just getting real. I'm showing you my heart. That was happening. Boom, boom, happening in my heart. Oh no, that's ridiculous. I can't believe that. That man don't know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can't sin. I mean, come on, we, life's hard. You know, we're gonna. Make an excuse for the sin. And because Brother Swagger said the truth and the Holy Spirit put his holy finger on that thing in my heart and said, you, buddy. Oh, no, no, no. And he kept his finger there until I finally. And that's exactly what happened that's in the preaching of the, of the word when it's. All this this other stuff that goes away from the cross and it's just principles from the word and this feel good stuff and everything. Yeah. None of that puts its finger on. It just makes you feel better. It makes you feel better about yourself, which is dangerous if you're not, if you need to be working on it. You don't make somebody feel better about it and being in a bad place because you just don't want them to feel bad. Sometimes we need to feel bad. I think you said it this morning, though. He doesn't leave us there. Oh, yeah. He's not trying to make us feel bad so he'll put condemnation on us. It's so that it can be dealt with and so that we can have true freedom. Right, exactly. Real freedom. That Those things, and we don't always see it this way, but those things, will, they will hinder your growth in, in Christ. They, it's like a sucker. Uh, like a, you know, you have plants, flowers, or whatever. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not like any type of uh, like a fruit tree or whatever. They call them suckers. That's right. And they look good too. A little flower looks real pretty, but it's just sucking the life out of that plant and preventing that plant from bearing more fruit. That's the pruning process. God's going to prune those suckers away. But we love the the suckers look pretty to us. <laughs> but Lord, that's a pretty flower. And he's like, it's a sucker. It's still alive. And we'll, 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 we'll and, that, and this is your flesh fighting God. And then you what happens is God has to come and touch the hollow of your hip like he did Jacob. Until all you can do is clean. The sanctification process, and we all experience it, it's not easy. It's not easy. But just like my dad said, we can't soften it. We, because we all going to go through the same thing. If I, if I minister with me, my dad, but Danny, who, if we minister and we say something hard, that's coming right at us too. We, it's the same sanctification process for us. And there trial of everybody we talked about this morning every single born again believer you if the wilderness is for you <laughs> but just like what my dad said a lot of times we just let's just we'll just preach principles because that nobody get if you preach principles nobody gonna fight you because you're not striking at anything in the heart of a person well until, until i really 
got hold of the message of the Christ. That's all that I was ever taught in church, you know, was just principles. You know, got saved, I was saved, mm -hmm. you know, filled the Holy Ghost. But then I was just taught principles. I was not actually taught to focus my faith and on the cross and what Jesus did for me. I never heard that until I started going to Chico State Park to pick up laundry. And I had to turn the radio on and heard Brother Jimmy and I just, I would argue with him, <laughs> you know, while I was going down the road. Because I knew that, you know, so I knew that already, you know. But one day, it hit me. It was like God just zeroed in right here. And he said, they're telling you the truth. They're telling you the truth. And I had always asked God, God, I'll serve you. No matter what, but I don't have the faith. You show me the truth. Yeah. You yeah. show me the truth. For whatever reason, there is a level of fighting in all of us <laughs> against the cross. Um, and it's the, it's not fun. It's not fun to go through it, and it's not fun to see somebody else go through it because you know exactly what it is. Uh, one of the things I heard in Bible college is you see something in everybody else because you've seen it in yourself first. If someone, if so, if there's pride in someone else's heart, you can spot it because you've seen it in your own. Right. If you can spot something in somebody else's life. It's because yeah. you've seen it in your own. Familiar. Yeah, exactly. Familiar. But we're gonna we're gonna actually talk about I think all that was good. I really think that was good uh, conversation. We're gonna talk about some of the things like we talked about just teaching principles. But really all that is is just well, all we do is just talk about what makes a better fig leaf covering yeah. for sin. That's really all that is. <laughs> Yeah. Like, oh, well, we need to do that. Well, that's, this this fig leaf covering is better than this. But sin is still there. It's that that needs to be addressed. Once that's addressed, all the others are going to fall off. Okay, so verse twenty-seven. I really definitely we get through chapter three tonight. We're going to finish this up. Verse twenty-seven. Uh, actually, I'm going to go ahead and read twenty-seven through thirty-one, and then uh, we'll get into it. If you're there, say amen. Amen. It says, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith, and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yes, we establish the law. So let's go back to verse 27. Uh, Dad, go ahead. Where is boasting then? This refers primarily to the Jews boasting of who they were as a result of the law of God given to them. Whatever you are boasting in is what your faith is in. What, whatever you boast in, that's what your faith is in. Uh, and I'll, I'll say, whatever your greatest emphasis is on, that's what your faith is in. Whatever your greatest emphasis is on, that's what your faith is in. Paul has shown that the law did not save, and in fact could not save. 
Paul has also proven that salvation is totally in and of God through Jesus Christ with man playing no part in it at all. With that being said, what does anyone have to boast in? If salvation is totally of God and we play no part in it but faith, what, what do we boast? What can we boast in? Only in Christ. With there is nothing. For, there is just flat out nothing for us to boast in. It just it just cancels you out, man. It just it kills you. The gospel kills you. It eliminates you. Yeah. You can't boast in anything except the Lord Jesus Christ. I will glory in the cross. Uh, go ahead, Dad. It is excluded. God will not accept such boasting, and it also serves as keeping one from salvation. Remember, the Jews boasted in who they were and the fact that they had the law, and nobody else did. Booyah. We're Jews. Hey, take that. Well, that God will not accept that, and it actually will keep you from salvation. Not one single human being has anything at all to boast about respecting rightness with God. We all deserve hell. We hammer this point home, but there just ain't anything boasted. Everything we have respecting salvation has come totally and completely as a free gift from God, brought about by God, and carried through in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that you initially saw that you were lost and you needed a savior and Jesus was the savior and you believed, you, you didn't even do that. God had to open your eyes. The Holy Spirit had to open your eyes that you're a sinner and you're lost. And then show you the savior. He had to reveal that Christ is the savior. He's the answer. Now, what happened was probably a minister was preaching and what he was preaching is the Holy Spirit worked through that to open your eyes to the fact that you're lost and that you need a Savior. But it's still the whole, it's still the operation of God, the Holy Spirit. Opening your eyes. You can't even claim that. You can't even claim like, oh no, I, ca I came to Jesus. I found him. No, you didn't. He, he totally found you. Open your eyes. You were blind and lost. He opened your eyes. And then the fact that you were able to believe was simply because all that happened. It is excluded by what law of works? This, in a sense, tells us how the boasting originated. Israel grew proud and haughty because God gave them the law. Israel failed to see what the law was all about. They created an ethical system out of the law, which completely abrogated its true purpose. And that kind of goes along with uh, what you said a while ago that it principles 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 and basically Israel did the same thing they turned the law of God into ethical an ethical living just principles an ethical system the law's true purpose was to define sin and to show man his spiritual weakness and inability and inability to do that which God commanded the law was there to show you that you can't do it. Uh, in the church today, we take law and we use it the same way Israel tried. We, we really follow right in their footsteps. Well, we need to do this. Israel would have said all the same things. You need to do this. And if you don't, then... And that's... We, we're really... We're not... We're really not much different than Israel. I mean... That's the sad part. 
we say a lot, we read a lot about Israel, and it's like, man, Israel, man, those people, <laughs> golly, but really in the body of Christ, we, we, we just follow right. We follow Israel more than anything. That's why they're given in scripture as an example of what not to do, basically. <laughs> so the true purpose of the law was to define sin and show man his spiritual weakness. Law will always show you that you can't do it. You can't do it. The, the law of love your neighbor as yourself, that shows you that it's not in you. You can't do it. The inability for you to actually do that. The system they created out of the law, as stated, was a system of ethics, which in the very doing of such sounded good and made them feel as if they were holy or at least superior to all other nations. Uh, Paul said that the commandment that was ordained to life, I found to bring death. Basically, it deceived me. And by it, slew me. Yeah. That's what, yeah. basically, that's not exactly what he said. That's what Paul was saying. Basically, what Paul, in a nutshell, what Paul was saying was, a commandment came that said, doing this will give you life. It's good. It's good to do this. If you do this, it'll give you life in some way, shape, fashion, or form. And he said, oh, okay. And it sounded good, but he said, it deceived me. It fooled me. It promised something that it couldn't deliver. And the thing that it was always meant to deliver was condemnation. Because law is the ministry, the ministry of the law is condemnation. It's, it's to show you that you can't do it. So he, Paul said that the law came, I was when it came, I was deceived by it. And instead of life, instead of a commandment ordained to life, I found death. And he set out to do it, and he failed. And in that failure, he all of condemnation comes. Oh my! But he said it deceived me because just like it, it sounds good, it sounds good, it seems right, and our flesh loves it because we feel like we got to do something. I can't just not do anything. I got to do something. We're just, it's, it deceives us we, we, like that, bang. It sounded good and made them feel as if they were holy. So if you are successful, then you feel like, ooh. But you can't just be successful a few times. You got to keep the law all the time, perfectly, from the moment you take your first breath to the moment you take your last breath. Not just sometimes, like I said this morning, all the commandments, not some of the commandments and statutes, all the commandments and statutes, and all the time. In this perversion of the law, they developed a terrible self-righteousness, which such always will do. So they became self-righteous. Well, we do this. Self-righteousness always produces a boasting or glorying. And it's not in the cross. <laughs> the cross eliminates boasting and glorying in self or what you do. So that's, they're, they're totally, they can't, they're going to butt heads. It's not, it's not, they're not going to line up. Next part, Dad. See, okay. No, but by the law of faith. Always, I was always intrigued by this. 
I, I remember sharing this with my dad so many times, reading that, like, the law <laughs> Proclaims to all the manner in which salvation is obtained from God, and anything else for that matter. Human beings understand law by this definition. A rule laid down for the guidance of an intelligent being by an intelligent being having power over him. Let me just simplify that. My dad being my dad, when I was in that, when I was uh, growing up, he was my dad. I was a little kid. He's an intelligent being, and he laid down the law in the house. He laid down the rule. And that rule was for me. <laughs> and it was a law. Also, see it in your job. Your job. Well, you can't, you can't do this. You have to do this and don't do this. See, we're, we're immersed in law. From the moment we come into this earth, law is what you're going to get. You can't do this and you got to do this. If you do this, then you receive this as a reward. If you don't do this, then this will be the consequence. That's See, that's all the idea of law. We're immersed in it. It is like, because we're immersed in it so much, it, it's like it becomes a part of us. That's why we so easily go into it. It doesn't take much. It's like, we're just like, oh yeah, this is the way, because that's what we've always done. And it, I mean, bang, it don't take much. It will not take much. Boom. That's one of the reasons why oftentimes a new believer, somebody who just comes to the Lord, the first thing that they want to know, oftentimes, by human nature, our human nature is, all right, let me know the rules. What is it that I can do, can't do? I mean, what, what, how do I do this? You know, what, can, can I do this? Am I allowed to do this? If I go to your church, can I do this? What's the rules? What's your rules of dress when I come to your church? What you, that question comes to me as a pastor more than maybe most anything is what, what are the rules? What are the policies? What can we do and what can't we do? Because we automatically default to that. The question is hardly ever who I am, who am, who am I in Christ? What is the freedom that I have in Christ? We ferret, we, we seldom go there. We just want to know how do we obey? How do we fit in? You know, and, and that's actually not the way of God. He has a different way. I had a lot easier when I because I had an example. Hmm. Are you saying that she just told you what to do? Or are you saying, <laughs> I'm just trying to understand. <laughs> no, I, I know to me. She was saved. <laughs> she was saved. The intelligent being laid down the rule to the other intelligent being. <laughs> no, I know what you mean because she was already. Yeah, then, yeah. <laughs> what I was working the door, but on those pastors, all them pastors that would come through God's audience, mm -hmm. one of them sat there and told me, said, let me tell you a secret. Keep your mouth shut. Don't tell your husband what to do. That's one of the most amazing things about the difference between over here we have uh, Cattle drivers drive cattle where we want them to go. The Middle East, in the Middle East, their way is lead. The shepherd leads the sheep. 
Over here, we drive, in America, we drive cattle. Over there, they lead sheep and the sheep follow the shepherd. Different type of idea, different type of concept. A lot of times, the sad thing is, a lot of times we do the same thing, but we drive instead of just leading. Okay, so this can be this can be classified as laws set by God to His human creatures, and laws set by men to men, which we address that. There are there are three ideas respecting law. One is command. The first one is command, which refers to the expression of a particular desire. Command, which refers to the expression of a particular desire. One more time. Command, which refers to the expression of a particular desire. The second is duty or obligation. Duty or obligation. Signifying that one is bound or obliged by the command to pursue a certain course of conduct. Signifying that one is bound or obliged by the command to pursue a certain course of conduct. One more time. And then we'll have these typed up for next week that we had that power outage at the church with so little time. Signifying that one is bound or obliged by the command to pursue a certain course of conduct. And the third is sanction, which indicates the evil likely to be incurred by disobedience, which indicates the evil likely to be incurred by disobedience. One more time, which indicates the evil likely to be incurred by disobedience. If you didn't get all of it, don't worry about it. It's going to be typed up for you next week anyway. As law is used in the New Testament, it carries with it all three. Just like, remember, remember the word redeem, uh, uh, redemption or redeemed? Remember we looked, there was three different definitions, but really you combine all three of those Greek words together and then you really get the full picture of redemption. Same idea, you combine all threes together, you get the full picture of law. The law of faith as Paul uses it, sets forth the great redemption of Jesus Christ with the apostles showing that it provides what the law of Moses had failed to provide, a righteousness which can satisfy the requirements of the law. It is a righteousness that is indeed apart from the law. It's apart from all men's attempts to keep the law, but is nevertheless in deepest harmony with the principles of the law and has been witnessed by the law and the prophets. Remember, we looked at that a little earlier in, in chapter 3. The law of Moses places the responsibility on the person, on you and me. It places this on us. While the law of faith 
places the responsibility on God. All the believer has to do to receive the benefits of all that Jesus did is to exercise the law of faith, which simply means to believe what the Lord has done. It is, notice it says the law of faith. It's a law, just like the law of gravity. It's a, it's a, it's a spiritual law that God has set in place from the beginning of time and he'll never change it. It, there, there's a, there's law, there's a few laws that we're going to see in the book of Romans. And really, before I, I understood these, understanding these laws helped a lot. It really, it really helped a lot. So we need to understand that it is the law of faith. It's like, a, it's a spiritual law that God has set up. Just like here on earth, we have the law of gravity. Um, it's the same idea. It's a law like that that it's never going to change. It's a law. Law of faith. By the law of Moses, man did it all or attempted to do so. While with the law of faith, God does it all and in fact has already done it all. Verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith. This brings to an end the dialogue between Paul and the Jews. Paul had proven that the Jews are in the same condition as the Gentiles as it regards the need for, redeem, for a redeemer. This didn't sit well with the Jews because they felt that in as much as they were God's chosen people, the people whom the word of God was given, the people of the prophets, and above all, the people of the law, that this merited them some special favor with God. But yet Paul throws this all out as having no worth in the sense of special favor with God. They were equal with the Gentiles in their need for a redeemer. An example, just honestly, an example in today's, for, you know, to bring it into for us is um, Pentecostals. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the truth is, whether we say it with our mouths, there's a certain part of us that thinks that because we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and we have it, that we merit a little bit more favor. Some would say that. Some actually believe that. But yet, it was, it's the same idea as the Jews thinking that they merit favor because God gave them the all. Well, those Gentiles, man, if they just... Had the law. Oh, we, we kind of, that's what I say. We, we really, we kind of follow, we'll hook, line, sinker, man. We'll follow right in the suit. And Paul just throws it all out and says, you need a redeemer just like they need a redeemer. Okay, uh, that. Let's see. Okay, so therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith uh, without the deeds of the law. Keeping these commandments or attempting to keep them affords no salvation whatsoever. This is the same as trusting in the church to save, water baptism, the Lord's Supper, or performing good deeds, etc. You say etc. It can be everything under the sun. Paul's argument is not that the law of Moses was insignificant. However, it was not meant to save one's soul and in fact could not save the soul. Verse 29. Is he the God of the Jews only? This hits at the very heart of Jewish thinking. 
because they did feel that Jehovah was God of the Jews only. They placed all Gentiles, which included the rest of the world, outside the scope of salvation. Uh, next one. Is he not also of the Gentiles? Refers to God's plan, which included the Gentiles as well. From Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, we learn that God intended for the Gentiles to be brought into salvation all along. That was, uh, it talks about Abraham. He said, through your seed, all. Yes. The, uh, I don't know if it said nation, but all the mm -hmm. people of the earth shall be blessed. All nations, yes. Uh, he always intended for the Gentiles to be saved. God's redemption plan leaves no one out. Next. Yes, of the Gentiles also. Such was on God's terms of faith instead of the Jewish terms of law. Say that again. Such was on God's terms of faith instead of the Jewish terms of law. Uh, the Jews believe that if you're a Gentile and you want to be saved, you had to become a proselyte Jew. Circumcised. And be circumcised. You had to keep the law in its entirety, which they didn't even do because they couldn't. They called that hypocrite. <laughs> The church as well has a habit of falling into lockstep with Israel of old by presenting something other than faith in Christ. With the Catholic Church, it is the church itself, which also holds true with some Protestant churches. Also with many Protestant churches, the ordinances of the church are presented instead of Christ with Jesus only used as a window dressing mm -hmm. or in some supplementary mix. Yeah. We, churches, denominations, people, we use Jesus, we use the name of Jesus to promote our own ideas and plans. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it, it, you have, say that again. We use Jesus to promote our own ideas and plans and our own redemption plan. And we'll twist scripture to make it fit. Uh, so obviously with the Catholic Church, you know, the church saves. And I, one of my best friends is a hardcore Catholic. And he, uh, we've had conversations and it's, uh, it's really hard. Honestly, I don't always... I don't always like getting into the, I try to avoid them, <laughs> but he, he, he wants to talk about it. So most of the time he starts it and then I'll just try my best to end it. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't, I, at the same time, you, if you go that direction, I have to tell you the truth. And if I don't, I don't love you. That's not love if I don't. So, um, and there's a twisting of scripture to make, the beliefs of the Catholic Church fit. And that and even in G take Jesus. Oh no, Jesus started the Catholic Church. Uh, no, no, he did not. But that's what I said. There's a just Jesus is thrown in as a, a window dressing or a supplementary mix to you know make it to make it fit because if you don't throw Jesus in there, people ain't gonna buy into that. <laughs> That, that's not just, the sad thing is, is that's not just the Catholic Church, that's Protestant churches too. Yeah. 
I, I mean, if you leave the church, you're going to hell. If you leave the church, you're going to hell. Right. I, this, um, there's just when you see as you as you really uh, grow in the message of the cross and you see all the different things, I, I guarantee you that things are going to start jumping out to you. And you'll be like, oh my goodness, I've never seen that before. It just happens. Uh, verse 30. Seeing it is one God, which shall justify the circumcision by faith. Places the Jew on the same level as the Gentile. The Jews had two problems. The first one, they did not accept Jesus as the fulfillment of the prophecies as Messiah and Savior. That's their first problem. Second problem is they did not accept salvation by faith. Paul is saying that it is one God for one world. Yes. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. Right. The Jews accepted the doctrine of one God in, a, in comparison to the many gods of the heathens. They could not accept, and in fact would not accept, the idea that there was one salvation for all. Right. That's really what they just would not accept. Oh, no, 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 no. The Gentiles were better than the Gentiles. There's a different salvation. No, no, it's the same. And you're really not any different. <laughs> you just happen to be chosen by God. That, the, that really that the Messiah would come, he would be a Jew. Other than that. And circumcision through faith. Oh, uncircumcision. I'm sorry. You get these things. Oh, okay, I, I thought I wrote it wrong. Uh, <laughs> and uncircumcision <laughs> through faith. Oh, damn. What you do? <laughs> Oh, it's me. You twisting the scriptures, man. <laughs> just testing, y'all. Just testing. <laughs> okay, this puts the Gentile on the same level respecting the need for salvation and the manner of salvation. So, when it said circumcision, it was talking about the Jews, and then the uncircumcision, talking about the Gentiles. The conclusion is that God declares the believer, whether Jew or Gentile, to be a righteous person apart from, apart from and independently of personal moral merit. Basically, in a nutshell, it ain't got nothing to do with you. <laughs> it ain't got nothing to do with you. you don't, you're not worthy of it. There is nothing. In, there is no good in you. It's all of his grace and none of you, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. Verse 31. Do we then make void the law through faith? False statements concerning law and faith. It's not that faith is a brand new entity, not taking into consideration the law at all, but rather the very opposite. Next. God forbid. Yes, we establish the law. Proclaims that Christ is the subject of the law in all of its rites and ceremonies. Uh, you can see that in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, and Hebrews chapters 8 through chapter 10. Paul shows that the just demands of the law 
are fulfilled in believers and believers only. The Lord made the same claim in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Now that one I want to read. Uh, Dad, can you flip to that? Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. So is it stated that the believer fulfills basically the law as, as they put their faith in Christ? When you look at the whole structure, when you look at the structure of the Jewish law, the, the law of Moses, there was commandments. You had the Ten Commandments. And what would happen is if they broke one of those commandments, they had to go offer sacrifice to atone for the broken commandment. Well, Israel missed the point altogether. And what they did was they thought it's through the keeping of the laws that we're acceptable to God. But what they missed, what the veil was there and it covered, they couldn't see it, was that you were never going to be able to keep the commandments. You were always meant to have a relationship through the sacrifice. It was through the sacrifice. But they made it about the commandments and not about the sacrifice. They made it about the doing and the not doing instead of the sacrifice. They so they but they 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 missed it. We look at it and we're like, oh yeah, of course. But they didn't they didn't they didn't see it. They didn't see it. And so when then if they couldn't keep them, they started making all these fence laws to try to keep them. Because we got to keep them. Instead of saying I give up and throwing themselves totally on the sacrifice, they made more laws to try to keep from breaking the first laws. And all that they found out was it's more burden and it's more bondage because law is just bondage. So they're just heaping more bondage and more bondage upon themselves. It's it's sad. When you see it, you're like... The church does that. Exactly. Well, religion does. Yes. Religion, absolutely. Most denominations, actually. If not all, there is law in it. It was said of the Pharisees, you know, that it wasn't the outside of the law of the scripture. Because when Jesus really condemned them concerning their laws and their traditions of men, he wasn't talking about the law that was given them of Moses. He was talking about all of their other laws that they created. And there was like, if I'm not mistaken, like 600 and something yes. different laws. And these Pharisees, they knew them all. <laughs> That, that was part of what they had to do, yeah. you know, yeah. and it was, the, they, they tried to make sure that you kept all of them. Yeah. Yeah. That was their, that was what they did, you know. Paul knew them all. This is an example. If a minute, this is the law too. This is one of the laws of the, probably the assemblies, but honestly, probably most have this law. It might not be written down, but most have it. Uh, if a minister fails then he has to uh, sit out of ministry for a certain amount of time yeah. and then he can come back in there. And nobody really, nobody really looks at that and thinks anything. Like, okay, okay, whatever. But when you really look at it, first of all, it's not scriptural. Second of all, was the, it, what it says is that they have to pay for what they've mm -hmm. done in some shape, fashion, or form. Even if it's just not preaching for 
a certain amount of time. So, so that means that the finished work of Calvary, the shed blood of Christ to forgive that sin is not enough. And it's, it's atonement in a certain way. They might not have to, you know, crawl up, you know, 50,000 steps or, you know, say, you know, you know, 20 Hail Marys or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of different things, but it, it is a form of atonement. It's a form of penance. Penance. Pen that's a better, yeah, I'm sorry. That's a better word. Uh, it, there's it, what the problem with that. Let me clarify something a little bit. There's, you know, there's a, you know, there, there, it's not to say that a minister can commit some kind of, you know, there, that disqualifies him at least for a certain period of time. That he needs to take a step back and 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 and, and, and let's get with God and let's get restored here in a proper way uh, because he got there for a reason. That. Is legitimate. The problem comes in whenever you have this just you have this rule that's there, and there's no real restoration that takes place biblically. It just turns into penance. And if you just do this, then you're you're good. But so many times they're still not good afterwards because what they've had to go through has nothing to do with true biblical restoration through the blood of Christ. And it, so it doesn't work, you know. So when that system is set up in that way and it becomes a, a rule, a law in that sense, then there's no real restoration that ever takes place. Yeah. You know, you know, I've done my penance, you know, so I'm ready to go back when you might still not be restored at all, you know, in the proper way. And so uh, I think that's where the problem comes in there. That happens even amongst believers, though. Oh, yeah. You know, with some believers think, well, yeah. they, they don't, you know, they don't need to be in leadership. They don't need to be because yeah. they, you know, they send or whatever. You know, what I'm saying so. It happens across the board. It's not just in ministry. No, it, it happens, happens no, across right. the board. It's right. Yeah, the, don't really. The thing about ministry is it's just made public most of the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's made more public mm -hmm. uh, than anything. But uh, David, David wasn't under the new covenant. David was under the law. Yes, and David committed adultery, murder, and he lied. Yeah. He yeah. So, but and and the penalty for that was to be stoned. He should have died. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. God didn't do that. So you see, God handles things differently. Yes, and we, man, we think, oh no, this is. But that's why it's so important. If you operate in an unscriptural way, but there was in David's case, there was a you see there was a real restoration that took place, yeah. yes. and one of the most amazing prayers of repentance yes. in Psalm fifty-one yes. is a prayer of repentance. Yeah. Uh, and if you really read it in the with the lens of the cross and the new covenant, you will it'd be you'd be amazed at what you see in that prayer. Uh, there was an understanding of grace yes. that that David had uh, where God was concerned. And uh, it, it's just a beautiful thing when you really look at it. it you just, I challenge you to, to look at that and see what David wrote there and remember why he was writing it. Remember what was happening in his life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? It's one of the best um, passages of Scripture that, that really shows that forgiveness is not deliverance. Because because David David said he said cleanse me, but then uh, he said create in me a new, yes a clean heart a new heart. 
and renew a right spirit within me. What David understood was just forgiveness is not going to change me. I'll turn around and do it again. Right. I need a new heart. Yes, exactly. And that's one of the, it's, it, just like my day, it's very powerful. It's very, very powerful. It's, it's and what he says concerning that new heart and renewing, that strikes at the heart of the gospel. That's exactly what Christ provided for us there. He, a new, a new heart. That's what he gives us. He has to. Yes. You know. Yes. <laughs> okay, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Oh. <laughs> yes, Matthew. <laughs> uh, think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Christ was and is the end of the law, meaning its intended destination. The law is your schoolmaster to bring you to Christ. Now, once you get to Christ, guess what you don't need anymore? You don't need a schoolmaster. We have law to bring us to Christ. That's the end. That is the end purpose of the law. The law is not for a righteous man, but for an unrighteous man. So that the unrighteous man will see that he's not righteous and he needs to be saved. Now, once he goes to Christ, the law has done its job. No need to go, you don't need to go back to the law. The law has done its job. What we do is we go to Christ and then we go right back to the law to live right. And we, what happens is, as believers, we, it's an endless yes. cycle. Because you go to Christ, once you see, I, I failed at this law keeping. And we go to Christ, and but then right after we get up from the foot of Calvary, and we turn around, and we go, we turn right back to law. And guess what you're going to find out? You can't do it, and then you'll turn right back. Maybe that's the wrong law. Maybe I need a different law. <laughs> a different routine. You have believe it's heartbreaking. There are believers all over the world that are in that cycle. Failure, repentance, failure, repentance, failure, repentance. And that's not, the, that's not the abundant life that's promised to us in Christ. That's not it. He said that you would have life and life more abundantly. Now that, this right here, is not more abundant life. I'm sorry, it's not. And that's what happens though. We don't realize that's what we're doing, but that's what we're doing. We get to Christ because we just failed at the law. We come to the foot of Calvary because you can't. The only way to get to Christ is through the cross. So then we go to the foot of Calvary, we get forgiveness, we've experienced the grace of God flowing, man, praise God, and then we turn right back around and we commit to law again. Because yeah. Yeah. we think now, I can do this. Okay, okay, now, going at it again, but it's an endless cycle. You're going to find an endless cycle, and what you're doing, that you, and we're going to see it later on, I'm trying to jump ahead, but it's adultery. You're committing spiritual adultery. You are meant to be in a relationship with Christ. You're married to Christ. Bound to Christ. But when you turn away from Christ and turn to law to meet a need that you have or what you think you need. And most of the time it's for righteousness. Or for what you deem as holiness. Or, you know, different things. It just makes you feel good sometimes. Well, it's like saying that, that Christ it's, didn't do enough. It's like saying that Christ hasn't done enough, yeah. and I need to add. Mm -hmm. 
And what you're doing is you're a spouse to Christ in a marriage relationship. That's what scripture portrays it as. But then you turn and commit yourself to law. So you're in a committed relationship with Christ. And then now you're operating in a committed relationship to the law. And that's adultery. If you're in a committed I'm married to Sarah. That's a committed relationship with Sarah. If I commit myself to another, guess what that is? Adultery. It's the same idea spiritually. And we do it with the law all the time. You can do it with the world. You can do it with law. You can do it with this. Wow, you can do it. <laughs> okay, so I uh, really want to finish this. Every function, every direction, every command, and every ritual of the law of Moses were meant to serve as a type of Christ and constantly to point to Christ. Law means the declaration of righteousness. And, and requirement of conformity to it on the part of man. When Christ is given his rightful due, the law is placed on its true base. In this proper position, it is shown not to justify, which it couldn't, but to convince of sin, or define sin, point out sin, and so lead one to Christ. Um, the law will always point out sin. So just, I want you to think about that for a second. As a born-again believer, you turn to law, and what does law do? It points out sin. And we live a lifestyle like that, to where we're constantly seeing sin pointed out, because that's what it does. It points out sin. Now, that is a part of God's plan, but what happens is we commit to that. So... It's a, you're, you're saved, but you're miserably saved. Because all you see is I can't, do, I can't, I can't do it. I'm the problem. I'm the problem. I'm the problem. I can't get this right. I'm a failure. It's me. It's me. It's me. Well, that's your focus. Your focus is self. Law always brings a focus to self. Every single time. But faith in Christ, faith in the cross puts the focus on Christ and what he's done. And that's when you experience the more abundant life. And it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. And you wake up in the morning and you're like, thank you for what you've done. Thank you, Lord, for your great. And you just get totally lost. I mean, it's and you you can have that every day. Yep. Every day. You can have that. And that's the moving and operation of the Holy Spirit. That's what it's talking about. That river of life flowing. That's how you get it. That's how you get that every day. Moment by moment. Mm. I want that. I don't know about you. I want that. I need that. I just want I need that. When Christ came, who was intended to be the end of or fulfillment of the law, the ceremonial part of the law of necessity was set aside. The ceremonial part of the law was set aside. Scripture says that he wrote his laws upon our hearts. If we depend on what Christ did for us at Calvary, then we no longer depend on the law for righteousness. Law keeping, you don't, you don't depend on keeping the law to make you right with God. 
And a lot of times, there's a lot of times that we say, oh no, I don't believe that. But the way that we're functioning is that way. There's many times I'm like, oh, my faith is, and I'm, my, me. <laughs> my faith is in Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And then whenever I fail, I find out where my faith is really at. Because now that I fail, I'm like, God's not pleased with me. Even though with my mouth, I'll say, and God knows what our, what the, he really knows what's in our heart. Even though with our mouth, we, we, we wholeheartedly believe, oh, my faith is 100% in Christ, man. And then we blow it and we fail and we're like, God's not pleased with me, Lord. <laughs> but we'll say faith, faith in Christ and the cross. And, and that's honestly, that's part of the sanctification process to purify your faith. He's going to show you how much your faith is not as mature as you think it is. Uh, once you accept Christ, you are now under grace and not law. So don't put yourself back under law. Stay in grace. The law is made for a sinful man, not the righteous man. We establish God's law under grace. Grace is our power source to live right. We can only experience grace if our faith is in the right thing. So we need the grace of God, but the problem is most of the church will know how to get it. We know we need it, we just don't know how to get it on a daily basis, in our personal life, not in ministry. Yeah. We know how to get it for ministry, for service. But in our per everyday personal life and living, we don't know how to get it. So we can be successful in ministry or ministering to other people and not just a minister behind a pulpit. I'm talking about one-on-one, one-on-one evangelism. You can just be, and, you, and man, the Holy Spirit's moving and operating and then in, in your own personal life, someone cuts you off on the road and you just let them have it. Yeah. <laughs> we need grace. We need grace and there's only one way to get it is through faith. In Christ, being connected to the vine, Amen. to the vine. When you're connected to the vine, when someone cuts you off, you will not care. And you might even say, yeah, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. You ain't even paying attention to the fact they cut you off. Yeah. And you have just kept the law and you didn't even think about it or try. Your focus was on Christ completely. That's God's plan. That's how God works. And then at the end, you'll never claim anything for it. And you'll just throw your crown at his feet. When he says, you did this, 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 this. And you'll be like, when? When did I do that? When did I do that? When did I do this? I don't understand. When did I? When? When? Lord, when? Because you were so consumed in the new covenant and what Jesus did for you, you didn't even notice. Whether you loved your neighbor as yourself or not, you didn't notice. All you saw was how much he loved you. Mm -hmm. That's it.